0: To the latest in the Bova News podcast series, I'm your host, Kim Bremmer. And in this ongoing Bova News Dairy Leader Series, we're featuring a group of dairy producers who truly go above and beyond in their area of expertise and who become leaders in their own right. Today, we have William Lesher of Wehar Farms and Wehar Farm Market, located in Burnville, Pennsylvania. Welcome, William. Thank you, Kim. So first off, tell us about the history of Wehar Farms.
1: Okay, so we're a family farm. Uh, My grandfather purchased our home farm in 52 for like $12,000 for a 150-acre farm, which always kind of blows everybody's mind here in Southeast PA what real estate's worth today. And then in 1970, my father and uncle built a farm market along a major road that's just uh, half a mile from our dairy and um, we started bottling milk in bags in 1970. The powers to be back then said that that was going to be the wave of the future because of the trash and the, you know, bottles. At that time, glass bottles was still very popular. And they were returnable and the hassle where this here was just made a real small little thing you could crumble up and put in the trash. And, but it never We bottled that till the day I got out of college and I threw it away. I got rid of it and put in a paper machine, which was a train wreck also. But that's kind of where we started. And we started in the ice cream business also. And today our two big things are still milk and ice cream.
0: And how many cows do you milk?
1: We milk 250 cows two times a day. And uh, we built in 19 or in 2016, we built a new dairy barn, um, state of the art. Um, we kept the old parlor, which is still the original parlor on the farm from 1967. That my dad and uncle had built and, um, it's very functional and, um, yeah, so we concentrate on the farm market a lot. Uh, we have a wholesale route, uh, several, two trucks on the road, four times a day, four times a week. So we've got a lot of moving parts here.
0: Uh, Certainly. Uh, What made your family expand into the retail side of the business?
1: And just a little bit of history about back in the day, they were called juggers. And pretty much a jugger was a a dairy farmer that milked cows and bottled milk, whether it was glass or plastic or bags. There were several of us that did bags. And In the peak, which would have been the late 70s, there were 300 and a few in the state of Pennsylvania. Very, very popular. Um, No matter what part of the country you're from, you'll appreciate this, um, or folks that are listening, is there wasn't a um, a mini market on every street corner like there is today. In Southeast PA, we have Sheets and we have Rudders, Land Hope, and all those 7-Eleven were some of the earlier ones. So these Juggers, as we called them back in the day, did really, really well. And at that time, grocery stores were doing a very, I think a very poor job of marketing milk. They had it under fluorescent lights. A lot of times the temperature wasn't proper and the milk just wasn't good. And people drank a lot of milk back then in the seventies. So these juggers come along and boy, we were really moving milk. Oh my goodness, we back then we probably milked 80 cows and we could market almost all the milk that we that we produced right here in our retail store. And then in the early 80s, you know, the, the, the when I was graduating from high school, we had 17-18% interest and and all of a sudden these these mini markets start coming along. And um by the time I got out of college in the late 80s, there were probably less than 100 juggers left. I mean, we probably lost 200 of them in the 80s. And um, our family diversified enough and we started a wholesale business and um, we couldn't get people to come to our store as much to buy a gallon of milk. So we went out and do some home deliveries, mostly restaurants. And then fast forward uh, 30 years and all of a sudden COVID comes along. And now... Um, farm markets are our biggest customer. Restaurants all closed. um, Our big distributors cut way back. And, uh, you know, our phone was ringing off the hook from every farm market along up and down, you know, the backcountry roads all of a sudden wanted to start selling milk. And some of that has backed off, but it's still a big part of our business.
0: So it seems that it's always changing and evolving. What have been the biggest challenges to the retail side of your business?
1: The the challenges are, is, you know, we love bottled milk. I mean, uh, we, I just, there's nothing more satisfying than putting that milk in a gallon jug and watching it go walk out the door. And that's our biggest challenge is people just don't drink the fluid milk. And we have a very, very good product. And um I'd say in the late eighties, early nineties, when skim milk was the, the new cool thing, we were doing more low fats, and now uh, we probably. Well, we have a few preschools that still use skim milk, and we market some here, but that has really kind of gone to the wayside. Is skim milk? It had a big push, like I said, in the '90s and early 2000s, and I think people have really come back to fat again, which is a good thing. Our biggest sales is is still whole milk. We do uh, a chocolate milk, which is a very We do a full fat chocolate milk and um, we do some flavored milks. We do um, our biggest seller is strawberry milk and it used to be seasonal. Now we almost will run it all the way into Thanksgiving when we start eggnog. Uh, We do mocha milk, which is a big seller and uh, strawberry milk right now. We do an orange creamsicle. But what we found about these flavored milks and and some dairy friends of ours that are bigger dairies in central PA, they told us that these these off flavor, I call them non-chocolate flavored milks. They're gonna be really big. You, you make them and you push them, you f- advertise them on Facebook and whatever advertising form you do, and then you back off and you'll have big sales and it'll slow down and slow down. and finally, it doesn't, you know you don't you can't sell enough to make it profitable. So we did that with mocha milk here. Um, strawberry milk came along, strawberry season. And we couldn't sell mocha milk like we wanted to or like we had been. So we um we quit. We stopped selling mocha milk. And uh kind of towards the end of strawberry season, some of our lot, most of farm marketers are where's mocha milk? When's mocha milk coming? Where's mocha? So I said, okay, I'm gonna make some mocha milk. And all of a sudden we can't keep it on the shelves. I was yeah, I make it on Mondays and I was out over the we didn't even have enough to make it through the weekend. And uh so you know, it, it, people kind of get tired of it, and then so we'll run mocha milk probably through the holidays, and then over the winter, maybe we'll do an orange creamsicle. Eggnog is a big seller for us. Um, we have a very good eggnog product.
0: And you also make ice cream.
1: Yes, ice cream is is a very big thing for us. We have a wonderful ice cream maker who actually does the work of making ice cream and. The rest of the team works on marketing it. and We sell most of our ice cream here in our farm market. Um, as I said in the beginning, we have a very busy road. It's a two-lane road, but it's, uh, it's off of an interstate, and it's it travels into the city of Reading, which is a, a big uh, industrial hub, a lot of, a lot of industry there. Um, so it's a very busy road. And um, now, you know, once Labor Day hits, things really start to slow down. We also have a, um, a mobile unit that we take to fairs and festivals. And this year is kind of an interesting story. This year, we've done more like company picnics, employee appreciation events cuz companies whether they're warehouses or even small mom and pop businesses are doing whatever they possibly can to retain employees and keep up employee morale. So, we've been short staffed here at our farm market, so pretty much our family, you know, my wife or I or sometimes the kids will take it to a 4-hour event and basically dip ice cream and the company writes us a check and it's, you know, might cost them 8, 9 bucks an employee, but if that helps a little bit in pulling morale and things that they they tell us they don't care what it costs, so we've done like I said we've done a lot of that this year and they're they're kind of fun actually meet some people gain a few more customers and uh, you don't have to handle money you just dip and make ice make milkshakes and off they go That's smiling. I always my my favorite saying is I love handing dairy products to people that are smiling. Um, yeah, so that's that's a, a big part of our business, also.
0: <laughs> oh, well said. Shifting gears a little bit to your local community, uh, can you tell us what you do on the farm and the retail store to welcome your community in? You are involved, obviously, in in your local community. What are some of the things that you do?
1: <laughs> we're um, we're extremely involved in the community, not only locally but but statewide. Um. As far as our local community, you know, we're my wife's on the school board. I'm on the planning commission for 20 years. You know, we're very active in our church, obviously, like most you know rural families are. And um, you know, that's where you make your your closest allies and customers that keep coming back. And um, a lot of our employees are, most of our employees are all local, live in our little community. Um, like yesterday although it rained all day long was a big community event it's like the lions club hosts a car show and we're part of that whole thing and it's, it, the community is is by far the most important thing to our family we're um we do a lot <clears throat> statewide for, with the dairy industry where our family is big in the pennsylvania dairymen's association both lolly and i had over the years served on the board and we still are very active we do a calving corner at farm show we're actively involved in and the big money driver behind the Pennsylvania Dairyman Association is the milkshake business. They do a pre-made milkshake and now they've got a, a truck on the road and it, um, they do Friday night football games. And there again, we just love putting dairy in people's bellies that normally wouldn't drink a glass of milk. So, um, that's that's a big thing. I'm on the Pennsylvania Beef Council. Um, made a lot of friends and organizations like that over the years. Our kids are all out of 4-H now. We were extremely involved parents and all that. Um, Junior Holstein Club, our local Holstein Club, and so forth. So it's all part of what we do. It's not like we have time to do it because can imagine what we do in a day. But um, yeah, they're they're very important, and our whole family is. Is on board with that also?
0: A little bit about the farm. Uh, what's your main focus on the farm? Uh, for example, you know, do you focus on components for your retail business?
1: So, year several years ago, we just made volume. We just wanted to, you know, really, we're putting in a bottle, so we weren't nearly as concerned. I, I will say, our surplus milk goes through a, a dairy, right, like everybody else's does through DFA and. Um, we, um, you know, now there's quotas and, you know, things, things have changed. And now in the last, you know, five years, components are becoming very important. And the other thing is, is we can never get enough cream. We, we scratch for cream every week, particularly over the summer. We have a large fluid cream business that we sell cream to restaurants and bakeries and So we're constantly scratching for cream. We do milk some Jerseys and a couple Swiss, a couple Shorthorns, trying to help keep our components up. But I think looking forward, components are going to be the way that dairies in general can grow, Mm -hmm. because you know transportation is not going to cost. The transportation is not going to come down. and I, I don't see quotas, they will probably be altered over the years, but I don't see them going away. Volume type quotas. So I, I think the area of growth is definitely going to be in components. And um, here at our, on our fluid end of things, you know, they might not be quite as important. Um, but um, it definitely, I think makes a better quality ice cream. But that's just my opinion. I'm pretty biased of our ice cream. It's a 14% mix. And to me, that is the ideal, whether it's ours or anybody else, I think that's the ideal butterfat where you're going to satisfy most people's palates because, you know, you can sell a 12% as ice cream and then you can have an 18% and an 18% you have to kind of rinse your mouth out with water. And a 12% doesn't have that smooth texture. So we're kind of right in the middle. And I think it, it's, you know, I think that we're at the spot where we can satisfy the most people at that 14%. And I'm pretty biased by it because I think that we have the best of anywhere. So, and, and my wife and I like to, you know, when we go somewhere, we'll always try people's ice cream and different things. And we're like, no, we, we can't, they can't get close to ours, but we're pretty biased. so.
0: <laughs> How many different flavors of ice cream do you make?
1: I think at the peak of the summer, we were about 60. Um, we do seasonal flavors like uh, we'll do eggnog, peppermint, apple pie a la mode. Um, oh, we do. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, then like we talked about with the milks, you know, there, some of these things are seasonal and you'll sell them like crazy. And then all of a sudden, you'll have. You know, several half gallons that just kind of sit there and, well, then you run a promotion on a milkshake and then it'll go. Because we don't, you know, that's one of the advantages of being small is we don't have ice cream sitting in the freezer for a year at a time. And there is a thing to freshness of ice cream. And um, so we don't have a ton of storage. So we we don't let a lot sit around. If it gets to be four, five, maybe six months old, we'll blow it out in milkshakes. You can you can sell anything in a milkshake, and uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of our philosophy is we do not like old ice cream.
0: And what percentage of your milk do you process into either bottled milk or ice cream?
1: About twenty five percent of what we produce.
0: Okay, excellent. Now, between your retail business and your farm, what sustainability uh, type efforts? Are you putting forth?
1: Um, so, at the farm level, we have kind of an interesting opportunity. There's another dairy or another farmer in our community. We share apples. It's one nice thing about being in Southeast PA, there's a lot of food processing companies. And because um, we're close to the population center, we're 122 miles from New York City, we're an hour from Philadelphia, um, we're 45 minutes from Harrisburg. Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton's a big population center. We're forty-five minutes from there, so you can kind of get a picture of where we we're very rural here, but we're very close to population centers. So, therefore, our Berks County kind of area is pretty big in food processing because we're kind of close to the population centers. So getting back to the apples, we, we feed apple cores, which is basically if you go to McDonald's or any type of company that serves food or uh, kids meals, and you can buy a vacuum sealed pack of apples instead of French fries or whatever, we get the part that they punch out when they make those. So if you go to McDonald's, for example, and you buy apple slices, you get, say, six or 10 slices of apples, and we get the core because that's a waste product. So, you know, if we as dairymen or cattle feeders or whatever weren't utilizing that, where would it go? It would go to a landfill. And, um, and it, it's basically pure sugar is what we feed it. We feed about two pounds of dry matter, and it's very wet. It's, you know, 85% water. But um, And then there's another byproduct that we use when we cover our trench. It's a byproduct of making prune juice. It's Dietaceous earth, or they call it perlite. It's a filter that they filter prune juice with at a company here about a half hour from our place. And um, there's a, a local beef farmer that has a contract to remove it from this prune juice processing plant. And um, you know, a lo- couple of us local farmers use it to cover our trench silos here. Instead of tires, we use this perlite. It, it has a sweet smell to it. Obviously, coming you know as a fruit filter, but um, yeah. So I mean, things like that. Our cardboard here from the farm market we grind up once a year and use as bedding. Um, you know, we're our family is tried to do you know the most things, but I I think you know animal agriculture in general I think doesn't tell people doesn't promote enough what we do to recycle products that are not edible for for human or not used for human consumption and i think we as an industry need to do a better job of promoting that i mean you know i I look at other things just simple things like sawdust our our sawdust is fall-offs from from a furniture company it's kiln-dried, and, they, you know, if that had to go to a landfill where, you know, somebody gets it and grinds it up and sells it to us as sawdust. Um, wheat mids, something as simple as wheat mids, it's a byproduct of making flour. Well, yeah, they can use wheat mids probably in some food processing things, but, you know, not trailer load and trailer load and trailer load. It's nationwide. Wheat mids are a very important feed for poultry for poultry, and pigs, and, and obviously more so probably in the ruminant side for livestock and dairy. Um, it's things like that. So can you imagine all the wheat that's processed in the country if we had to put the wheat mid, which is an, you know not a usable on the human side really, if that had to go into a landfill. And it's things like that that we really need to send a message out. But that's just my opinion.
0: No, well, I think it's well said. I would completely agree. And as we wrap up today, what does the future of Wehar Farms look like?
1: Interesting question. Um, so we have we have four children. My wife and I, our oldest one is thirty, and he runs the, the cropping the, the equipment side of things like most families, you know. Fortunately we have a have a mechanic in the family, keeps the wheels turning and um and then uh, uh, i have a, our oldest daughter graduated from penn state and went and worked in new york and a large dairy for 2 years and she's back home now for 3 or 4 years and those two are really have really dug in um we started the the process of transfer of some ownership and then covid hit and nothing moved in that time period and we really over the winter over this winter, we're, we're going to start the the wheels rolling again in that, in that direction, because they, you know, Jaylene owns a bunch of cows and Josh owns a bunch of equipment. So they've got some equity to contribute to the, to the, um, the organization. And, um, and then we have a daughter that just got married that her and her husband manages a 2,500 cow dairy in Wisconsin. And, um, but she's still, you know, has her finger on the pulse of what's going on. Then our baby is in college for nursing school. And we also like, we really needed something else to do. We started an Airbnb with one of our rental houses and she runs that. And I was very dead set against it. I just wanted to rent it and collect the cash, but this has done really well. And it's kind of given her a a thing that she really kind of concentrate on while she's in school. And so, yeah, we, um, we're diversified enough that there's something for everybody here plus some
0: do you see a day when you use more than 25 percent of your milk to process into other things
1: we do um we're you know constantly growing the the thing about wholesaling milk is you know the delivery costs and trucks and things are, are are it's a pretty big deal and um there is a there's a dairy in our county that is very very good they're a very large dairy they have an extremely good product so it makes it a little bit tough and in pennsylvania we have the pennsylvania milk marketing Board, which sets minimums which kind of helps us because you know big dairies can't come in and undercut you which you know financially they probably could do it a lot easier so that kind of helps a little bit in our in our wholesaling business it, sets a floor you can charge as much as you want but there's a floor that you can't go under um there's several states that that do that but pennsylvania is has a very um active milk marketing board that sets minimum prices for fluid milk
0: and where can people go to follow along learn more about your dairy your retail business
1: um so we uh we we have a facebook page um we are you know obviously the next generation is does quite a bit with that and um they really i mean it, you hear from different people that it's difficult to keep that current and and up to date and and you know they they try and i think they do a really good job keeping it fresh and and so forth so and our our email and website is com is um pretty much how they find us
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us today, William. Uh, I appreciate it. Burnville, Pennsylvania is going on my list. Uh, Hopefully, I'll get to visit your retail store and try some of this delicious ice cream and
1: milk. Kim, if I could add just one thing about our farm market, we really have a large bakery, and the bakery has really um, kind of turned evolution our business. It's done, people don't bake anymore. And we have a wonderful, our baker is our farm market manager, and she does just a phenomenal job. But the bakery and grocery seats, I hate to say it, exceeds the milk. Um, but they are, our, our bakery, bakery are, are good things for farm marketers because, you know, people come in, they want fresh ice cream and they want milk. And oh, well, while I'm here, I'll take a pie home. And, and obviously our busiest times are holidays for our bakery. But bakeries are very, if any, Of our listeners are interested in doing some farm marketing, um, bakery is definitely at the top of the list.
0: And would that be your biggest piece of advice for someone interested?
1: Yes, yes. Start small. Um, You know what we tell because we get we get a lot of people, particularly when milk price is low. We get a lot of dairymen that call us or come see us, and our comment to them is buy a buy a ice cream machine to make. You buy an ice cream machine and have a little, you know sanitary type room and a deep freezer a cold blast freezer and buy the mix and just start making ice cream and have a little storefront somewhere because the equipment costs are just staggering we have to replace a major piece of equipment in our bottling plant and the costs are staggering and uh, plus the supply chain pipeline business is a disaster too but but Anybody that is remotely thinking about they need to just start in ice cream. Seasonal. you open in April, May, and you close in October, maybe you want to run through the holidays. Um, but that's, that's where we get people advice, because unless you have you know a, a large family that and one of the family members is really going to dig in and it's, you need to start slow because the investment is, is pretty large.
0: And as well, thank you for being a leader in the dairy industry as you continue to evolve and grow your business and change uh, as things come along. It's pretty amazing the business that you've built.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, this wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, follow us on the various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. And be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Kim Bremer. And from everyone at Bova News, have a great day.